Well, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you'll know that we've been doing a sermon series called You've Asked For It. And this morning, I wanted to let you know that we're taking a break from that, actually. So this morning's sermon is entitled Newton's Third Law. Newton's third law is clear. It states that for every action or force in nature, there is an equal or opposite reaction, equal and opposite action, right? So we'll simplify that this morning, and we'll call it cause and effect for short. We're familiar with this principle, right? You speed, you run the risk of getting a speeding ticket, or you make a budget, and you run the chance of saving more money, right? We're familiar with the principles. And this morning, we're going to look at one man's choice that led to two devastating outcomes. And along with that, we have four goals for this morning as well. First, we're going to see what he did. Then we'll see what his actions led to. So we'll see the cause and then the effect. And we'll move to the truth of the text for today and we'll wrap it up with how we today can avoid making the same fatal and costly mistake that our character did. So would you please open in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. It can be found on page 277 in the few Bibles in front of you. 1 Samuel chapter 13 Verses 1 through 7. It reads, Saul lived for one year. Then he became king. When he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michnash of the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Gibeah, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also the Israelites had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots, um, excuse me, 30,000 horsemen and troops, like sands on the seashore in the multitude. They came up and encamped in Michnash, east of Beth Haven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard pressed, the people hid themselves in caves, in holes, in rocks, in tombs, in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal. And the people who followed him, and all the people followed him, trembled. A very bleak outlook, it seems, for the Israelites today despite an incredible victory from Jonathan, from Jonathan. Now, remember Chris' readings. He did a fantastic job. I know he picked it up in the middle of verse 15, but that was purposeful, right? 
We are in the middle of a Philistine occupation of the land of the Israelites. They are being oppressed. They have to take their tools, their farm tools, which are the only kinds of weapons that they have at this time, Bronze Age tools, to the Philistines to have them sharpened. So it makes Jonathan's victory over the Philistines a bit more impressive, doesn't it? The fact that they had farming tools against an army with chariots. All right, so chariots would be the pinnacle of combat tools. And Saul and Jonathan were the only two people in all of Israel to have a sword, to have two swords. That's all they had. But to really understand what's going on, we need to understand the geography of the area a bit more. So we have Saul's 2,000 men at Michmash, Jonathan's 1,000 men at Gibeah. Then we have Jonathan's attack. And then the Philistine army moves into Michmash. Saul's 2,000 men move to Gilgal, and Jonathan returns to Gibeah. What a staggering victory it was for Jonathan. And I think the Philistines here muster this huge force, just like the big kid on the playground does, right? He's a bully, right? This is an occupation. They don't want their enemies, their, their people who they're oppressing to rise up against them. So they bring out a force, a show of force to intimidate them, to say, hey, remember who you are. You're subservient to us. You serve us. You come to us to get things. You don't try and raise up against us. Verse 2 gives us a very important insight to the topography of the time. Uh, when we think, it says that this is the hill country of Bethel. So when we think of the hill country, you and I have a much different idea than what hill country is in Israel. When we think of hill country, we seem to think of something like this, an easy rolling hill. Something where chariots would do very well at, actually. Where battle could be waged there on chariots. But in reality, the hill country of Bethel is very mountainous. Right? There's deep valleys, right? steep sides. Chariots could probably only go maybe two or three abreast and in rows here. The ability to wage war in this area with chariots would have been difficult. That's why I see it as an intimidation. Remember who you are. But then they also had the foot soldiers to match up with them as well. They were outnumbered. There was nothing that they could do. Saul could only see the effect that these chariots were having on his men, that this Philistine army was having. His men were hiding, running away from him. Which is strange because Jonathan had such a great victory. So why doesn't Saul make an attack? Well, if you read with me verses 8 through 11, we see why. He was given some instruction. He waited seven days, the appointed time by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. 
And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Samuel went out to meet, and Saul, excuse me, went out to meet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Busted like a kid with his hand in the cookie jar, doing exactly what he shouldn't have. Like the time you finally worked up the courage to ditch that sixth period class in high school. And the teacher busts you walking out the door, right? Man, my high school teachers had two uncanny abilities. The ability to catch people when they're doing something wrong and the ability to tell when they're lying, right? And if those are high school teachers, imagine the abilities of a prophet of the Lord to come at exactly the right moment. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan and I think of this line that Gandalf says, in the movies. He says, a wizard is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to. Timing is impeccable. But who was Samuel? A prophet of the Lord, right? A man whose ability it was to speak the Lord's commands to people. When he spoke, it was the Lord's words and instruction. To go against what Samuel told was to disobey the commandments of the Lord. And look what he asks in verse 11. He asks, what have you done? As if he didn't know already. You know, the thing with the burnt offering is you know when it is offered. Just like you know when your neighbor is grilling steak. Right? You can tell when a burnt offering is being offered because there's smoke and you can smell it just like you smell food being cooked on a grill outside. But look what Samuel says. He says, I saw. He gives five reasons why he did it before he actually tells him what it is exactly he did. When I saw that the people were scattering from me, that you did not come within the appointed time, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michnash, I said, now, the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Now, the parents in the room will understand exactly what Saul is doing here. He's justifying his actions, right? He's building a case for his disobedience, right? I'm guilty of building a case for my own disobedience. And I'm sure you are too, right? So the times you show up to late work and you blame it on the traffic rather than you are a little late waiting for your coffee in line at Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, right? Oh, it was the traffic. It was the traffic. The barista was slow. It wasn't my fault. Or maybe you go the other way. Man, that person's reaction really drove me to the edge. That's why I broke. Their attitude pushed me to the limit. Right? He's pushing the responsibility off. He's not owning up to what he did, even though he knows it's wrong and he's been confronted with it. And my friends, this brings us to the first observation of today. This is the cause. This is the action that he took that leads to the outcome. His offering of the sacrifice 
Saul chose to deliberately disobey Samuel. He knew he shouldn't have done it, and yet he chose to do it anyways. Saul was showing his true spiritual condition. The sacrifice was supposed to be an act of dependence on the Lord for victory in battle, but yet here he is treating it like an ATM, as a transaction, trying to get a victory for despite the instruction that he was giving, right? One, one, one commentator says this, that disobedience, partial obedience is full disobedience. And isn't it ironic that Saul is trying to obtain the blessing of the Lord through an act of disobedience? And he's worried about what may happen. He can't tell the future, right? They've waited seven days so far to attack, right? And in going with the intimidation factor, why are they going to willingly go out to battle with someone who may just disperse and not fight them anyways? He can't tell what's going to happen, but he's caught in the moment of what might happen. And if only Saul had waited like Samuel had told him. If he hadn't acted out of his lack of understanding of the Lord's command and his spiritual understanding, if he had a real spiritual understanding of the Lord's commands, well, it's shockingly different what we could have seen come from Saul. Right? As we're going to see, his kingdom could have been established forever over Israel. And I would even say if he had not acted the way that he did, we could have even seen Jesus come from the line of Saul rather than of David. But his choice leads us, as we will see in verse 11 through, excuse me, a little behind on my slides here, I believe. Nope, I'm not. Verse 13, here we are. All right. As we'll see in verses 13 through the end, we'll see the cost. So follow along as I read. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom forever over Israel, but your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal, and the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They came, and they went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. I don't want you to get sidetracked here this morning, all right? The topic heading in our Bible says the unlawful sacrifice. Yes, it was wrong of him to make the sacrifice, but that isn't the major problem with this text. I want you to take your pen or pencil and underline the four times that it tells us command, commanded, right? Those 
That is the major crux here. That's the problem. Saul's disobedience of the commands of the Lord leads him to this outcome. It leads to the effect. His disobedience loses him the prosperity of his family being royalty in Israel forever. And it loses him his position as king immediately. Because he chose not to obey the Lord's command. The sacrifice was wrong. He was supposed to wait for Samuel to come to either oversee him making it or make it for him. And he, paid, and he paid a dear price for that. And I want to get something straight about Saul. He's not acting out of like a pride or trying to encroach on the leadership of being the prophet. Right? That isn't the kind of character that we see Saul being developed in the book thus far. And yes, he's very foolish and he does things that he should not. But he doesn't do them out of a desire to gain more power to be the prophet. He does them as a result of his lack of spiritual understanding. His lack of spiritual dullness leads him to do things against, exactly against what the Lord had commanded him to do. And that, my friends, leads us to the third point of today. We've seen the cause. His choice to disobey led to the outcome of loss of prosperity and position. It's time for the truth of the text. And it's a heavy one. I'm going to repeat it a few times because it's a mouthful, all right? Deliberate, unrepentant disobedience of the Lord's commands results in loss of both prosperity and position. I'm going to bring up some bigger words here. Deliberate, unrepentant disobedience of the Lord's commands results in loss of both prosperity and position. Now, some of you might be thinking, that can't be it. That's not fair. That can't be the same truth today that it was then. I don't have a prophet telling me the Lord's commands. All right, but in truth, this is still applicable to us today. The truth has not changed. And we do have a way of knowing the Lord's commands. He's given it to us in his word, written and bound for us in language we can understand. And we can know exactly what the Lord commands us to do and not to do. Now, I don't want the enemy to take what I've been saying here and contort it into something false. I'm not saying that any time you break a commandment of the Lord, this is what's going to happen, right? The key is in the deliberate, unrepentant, disobedient part. When you knowingly go against what the Lord has commanded in his word and are unrepentant, you don't 
take responsibility. You don't admit to the Lord that what I did was wrong and a sin against you. When you take Saul's stance and you justify your actions for breaking what the Lord commanded, this is going to be the outcome every time. This isn't the only time we've seen this either. Adam suffered the same fatal fate. He deliberately disobeyed the Lord's command not to eat. And look what it cost him. His prosperity of having eternal life and being able to walk with the Lord in the garden and his position of being in the garden with the Lord. A costly, costly price to pay. You know, it's like getting a speeding ticket. You're unknowingly doing 55 and a 30. And the officer pulls you over and he walks up to, to the window and, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I had a long day. It's been stressful. I wasn't paying attention and it won't happen again. There's a chance you could get off that, right? Versus the other side if you are unrepentant and dismissive. You're rude. You partially roll down the window. You don't give him your license. You do all these things just to kind of get under the skin of that officer doing his job. You're not getting out of that one, right? Now, I'm not saying that God is a cop looking to bust you for everything that you've done and write you a ticket for every wrong thing. That's just an illustration, right? Saul knew that he wasn't supposed to make the sacrifice, and he chose to do it anyways without taking responsibility or even asking for forgiveness. I like this example because it's so extreme, right? Last I checked, you, you and I, you know, maybe one of you is here, but none of us are king or queen of a nation today, right? But let's take a step towards you and I as Christians, as people who have a relationship with the Lord, people who know the word of God. Take adultery. The Lord's command not to commit adultery. Right? If you know this command and willingly go out, look at pornography, or have an affair over your spouse, and don't, I don't even want to get to the don't part yet, where, where, where you don't repent and don't take unforgiveness. If you know this and do this, you're going to incur loss of prosperity you could lose happiness, the happiness of your family. The ability to see your children grow up could cost you your position as a spouse. You know, it's a painful truth. If we know and deliberately disobey the Lord's commands, we taste it. Now the real deal about life and the choices that we make you and I have all made poor choices. At one time or another, we have disobeyed the Lord's command, and we will, right? But the key is the deliberate, unrepentant part, my friends. When we make the choice to go out and sin against the Lord and don't come to him and ask for his forgiveness and repentance and go to him in repentance, we're stuck suffering through the consequences that that choice brings. 
Now, this isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. Repentance and believing in the Lord doesn't mean that you won't suffer any kind of consequences for any bad choices that you make. Don't misunderstand that. Right? You and I will all have to deal with the consequences of the decisions that we make. Maybe you're here today and you've made a decision kind of like Saul where you knew what the Lord instructed you to do yet you decided to go the other way and now you're walking through that consequence. Well, I invite you to take the opposite approach of which Saul did. It's never too late to come to the Lord and admit that, Lord, I knew what you called me to do and I did the total opposite. Would you please forgive me for that, for the sinning against you? Now, that doesn't mean the consequences are going to go away, but you can receive from the Lord the ability to walk through that consequence. And also, hopefully, you learn not to make the same mistake twice. Saul's a great role model for us to learn from today. So let's put it all out on the table. Everything that we've seen so far today. We've seen the cause, the effect, the truth of the text, and now hopefully the part that you've all been waiting for. How do we avoid making the same mistake? Some of you might have already caught on to this today, but for those of you who haven't, it's simple. It's almost so simple that the text spells it out. Have a strong and sharp spiritual life. When we understand what the Lord commands of us and what the Lord has commanded us to do, there's no way that we want to deliberately sin against the Lord. Right? One leads to the other. Spiritual dullness leads to deliberate sin against what the Lord has done. But how? How do I grow in my spiritual life? Well, I've given four simple ways. This is not by any means an exhaustive list of how we can grow in our spiritual life. This is just four ways. Simple. Read the word of God. Let it be the lens of which you see the world around you. Let it sink into the truth of your heart. Let it stretch you and mold you. Know the word of God. Second, give praise to the Lord. I'm not talking about coming to church and singing songs all the time and being happy. Right? You can praise the Lord in the lowest moments of your life. You can still give praise to him. If you don't believe me, take a look at some of the Psalms, some of the darkest places and times of people's lives, and they're still redemptive, giving praise to the Lord. But that's another sermon for another Sunday. And the third one is be in community. Get in a lunch group, get in a dinner group, or a breakfast group, or a group text. Somewhere where you're living life beside other believers. Like-minded people do and think the same things, right? So other believers are going to have the same kind of convictions that you are going to have. They're going to know the parts of the Bible. They're going to know the commands of the Lord. And when you live alongside those people, you become familiar and you know those things. You know what the Lord commands of you. 
And the fourth, seek the Lord in prayer. Spend time pouring your soul out to him. Talk with him. Build a relationship. And like I said, this isn't an exhaustive list. It's just a simple way. Four simple ways you can start. Now think of it like this. Think of somebody you love. Maybe it's your spouse, your child, a really close friend of yours. You know, for me, it'd be my wife, Katie. I have worked really hard to build a relationship with her. And I would never willingly do something that would hurt her against her. I would never go out and do something that she doesn't want me to do and then not repent of it later to her if that need be. I would never hold back an apology from hurting her, right? But that only comes through building a relationship, right? If you don't know a person, it's almost we feel like a license to get away with more almost. But when you have a strong relationship with someone and you understand who they are and what they expect of you, you don't want to hurt them. You want to show them love and kindness. And you want to make them proud of you. You want to do what they expect. And in the, the same is true with our relationship with the Lord. When we know him, we want to bring glory to him. We want to do the things that bring praise to his name. We want to live our lives that demonstrate his goodness to us. And my friends, it's time to be honest with ourselves. If you're here this morning and you find yourself cracking open the Bible for the first time, maybe it's the first time that you've given praise to the Lord in a long while. Maybe it's the first time you've been in any kind of Christian community. Or maybe it's the first time you've come in prayer. Or maybe it's the very first time that you've ever been in a church. The reality is, my friends, a scary one. You are in danger of making the same fatal mistake that Saul did. And I don't want you to. You can turn that spiritual spoon into a sword, okay? Come to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and believe in him. Build a healthy and strong relationship with him. Understand the reality of cause and effect on our lives, on not just in the physical world, but in our spiritual lives as well. And remember the fact that spiritual dullness ultimately leads to the consequence of loss of position and prosperity. The direct disobedience and unrepentance, the unrepentant disobedience of the Lord's command leads to. Newton's third law applies to us in every single avenue of our life, in the physical world and in the spiritual world. And I don't want you to be caught not knowing. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We praise you for who you are and what you've done inside of us, Lord. I pray for each person here today, Lord, that this truth would, would sink into to our hearts, God, that we would seek you, Lord, that we would know your commands, that we would never willingly sin against you. 
God, and for those people who are walking through painful consequences today, Lord, I pray for a measure of grace to, and the ability to walk through that consequence, Lord, with the understanding that you are still in control. I just ask, Lord, that we would remember cause and effect, that we'd commit your scriptures and your commands to, to our hearts and that we would understand them and not sin against you, Lord. Be with us as we go from here this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.